Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome into this edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined as always by Ethan Skolnick. We're going to talk some Dolphins in this episode. And before we do, I want to recommend to you the football podcasts that are in our network. Be sure to check out Three Yards Per Carry, covering the Miami Dolphins in a much better fashion than we will over the course of the next 40 minutes. They go very much in depth. I was walking around Publix listening to those guys, and I'm just sitting there going, man, this is a level of detail and depth that you don't get in very many places. So check out Three Yards Per Carry. Check out The Fish Tank. Some amazing stories, including O.J. McDuffie telling a brilliant one about when he pulled a gun after getting into a altercation with a teammate check out the fish tank for that he very much regrets that and tells the story in a really interesting and and thought-provoking fashion and be sure to check out as well fantasy on five i just did my fantasy football draft got a lot of great advice from those guys so check out fantasy on five throughout the season they'll be going ahead of the waiver selection process and ahead of lineup days so be sure to check out the football podcast in our network and the other podcasts in the five reasons sports network as well episodes later in the week upcoming previewing umlsu as well with cameron underwood of state of the year so check that out but right now we're going to be talking some miami dolphins now that in all honesty ethan the real portion of preseason has ended the fourth game is still to come by the time you will in all likelihood listen to this episode when they play at the atlanta falcons on thursday night but We've seen the starters. We've seen really what we're going to see ahead of this preseason. So let's dig into the five things that we learned or the biggest questions that we leave the important portions of this NFL preseason with. And let's start first with the quarterback situation. You see Ryan Tannehill, I would say, play a lot in preseason. I I think he played more this year than Jay Cutler did last year or Ryan Tannehill did the year before that. So played close to a full half against Carolina, played the full half against Baltimore this past Saturday night. Let's start first with him, and then we can dig into the precarious backup situation after that. What did you make of Tannehill in this preseason? Well, um, we'll we'll get into the backup situation because I actually just wrote about that for another thing we've got uh, for football fans, which is a new site called Dolphin Maven, which you should definitely check out at Dolphin Maven. I'm writing again, Chris. Uh, It's only taken a very exciting. Yeah, starting to write, uh, unlike what was happening for a couple of years, it didn't take me three days. It only took me about 40 minutes. We'll see what the quality (laughs) is. But but I've got a column on there right now on Dolphin Maven about the backup quarterback situation. But let's take a look at the starting situation quarterback situation and with this he came out of it healthy right and and that is the most important thing if you go back a few months and you say what is the critical thing for the Dolphins this season regardless of whether you think he's an elite quarterback or not but the fact that they would have better quarterback play than they had last year and I think we're guaranteed that as long as Ryan Tannehill is healthy so he got through the three games he took a couple of hits didn't really have any problems, seems to be moving okay. That is a huge positive. And as we get to some of the negatives of this preseason, I want to at least acknowledge that first, Chris, that it is positive. And it's necessary because we're going to talk about the backup quarterback situation here in a second, <laughs> uh, which is not so positive. But I thought he was fine. You know, look, didn't throw the ball down the field very much. 
a lot of checkdowns. I mean, we're kind of accustomed to that in Adam Gase offense. He did spread it out a little bit. I thought the drive in the third preseason game where they ended up with the touchdown to Amendola, I thought that was promising because he spread the ball out a little bit. They had a big run from Drake, but he got the ball, I believe, to Gasicki in that dra- drive and then also finished it with Amendola, where Amendola shows you what he offers you, which is just sort of quickness in those tight spaces and the ability to sort of know where to go after he catches the ball. So I thought all of that was good. We didn't see him really extend himself very much. And the completion percentage was solid. I think you anticipate that from Tannehill at this point. You would have liked to have seen him hit a couple more big plays. But I just come back to this. He's healthy. He's not going to play in the fourth game. He'll be ready for the opener. That is the single biggest thing I take out of this preseason for the Dolphins that is good. Yeah, and to me, the thing about Tannehill that is most encouraging going forward is that I think now you kind of watch him play and play in a manner that looks similar to when we last saw him. And to me, you watch him, and I don't think of the injury anymore. I don't think this is a guy who's coming off major knee reconstruction that looks like a different player. To me, it looks like exactly the same player. So I, I leave with that bit of confidence. And I also saw Ryan Tannehill kept upright a fair amount. The Baltimore Ravens defensive line is very good. They hit him a few times, and they stopped the drive with a sack. But for the most part, the pass-blocking elements of that offensive line looked very good at times and made life fairly easy for Ryan Tannehill. But like you said, want to see a few more risks. I imagine we'll see more of those in the regular season. But in terms of the backup situation, I think a lot of Dolphins fans, this is a subject that you wrote about, Ethan. It's not a situation that leaves Dolphins fans with a lot of confidence right now. No, and look, a couple of things. I mean, I thought Jason Leisure hit it today uh, in his tweet. Dolphins depth chart at quarterback. One, Ryan Tannehill. Two, don't worry about Tannehill. Three, Tannehill will be fine. Four, even if he's on crutches, we go Tannehill. And that's pretty much where they're at. And, and, and the point that I made today in my column, and look, I don't know whose fault this is. I don't know if it's Gase. I don't know if it's Greer. I don't know if it's Tannenbaum. I don't know if it's Steve Ross, simply because he wouldn't sign Kaepernick last year. They'd have a perfectly good backup on this roster. Okay, Somebody who I think would be playing at a higher level than Robert Griffin III, who I think is playing at a pretty good level for a backup. Do we think that was Stephen Ross's call? Because I figured that Adam Gase would have preferred I, Jay Culler to Kaepernick. Well, but see, when we've run that by our Dolphins guys, you talk about our three yards per carry guys, CK, uh, Chris Kaufman, was pretty clear that that was a Ross decision, that you blame Ross for that one, uh, that Gase Gase would have been open to it. So I polled this on Twitter today, you know, which of the four of them do you fault for the backup quarterback situation? And most people fault Gase. Okay, so let's, let's throw it on Gase. And here was my point about Gase. He's known as a quarterback whisperer, right? Like, this is the position he has to get right. This is the reason he's here. This is why Steve Ross took him away from Chicago. And all we've seen from him in terms of a positive as a quarterback whisperer is the way that Tannehill played during that 8-5 and stretch a couple of years ago. So give him credit for that. But the other decisions, man, have not been good on quarterback. $10 million for Cutler because he thought he could sort of resurrect him the way that he did two years earlier when he cared. Didn't work out very well, right? I mean, turned out to be the worst of both worlds. He was just good enough to get the Dolphins out of good draft position, but just bad enough for them to lose a bunch of games. So that didn't work out. Osweiler has been pretty awful now for three years. Okay. Yes. I mean, we we, we knew this is what they were going to get. He, and he's, if- he's had three and four chances. He is an unredeemable player at this point. I'm with you. Okay. He's a third string quarterback at best. And, and look at the quarterbacks that Denver has been trotting out. Right. And they decided not to keep Osweiler and David fails like, okay, best case scenario. And I know you like the way he played in the last game of the season last year against Buffalo, that he played at a passable level. 
But what is David Fails' upside? A below average number two? His upside is you survive an NFL game with him as your quarterback. That's his upside. He might not win it, but you can survive and it not be a disaster. And even then, he's gone against the backups the last two games, and it's been really bad. Through another interception this past week against Baltimore. I mean, Carolina and Baltimore are good defensively, but they're not good all the way into their backups. And... I thought he was good in the first preseason game. I thought he was good last preseason. I thought he was good in the Week 17 game against Buffalo last year. But the last two weeks have not been a a positive reflection on him. Now, maybe in in a regular season setting, that looks more like it. But yeah, David Fales did not inspire a ton of confidence when given the opportunity to be the number two guy. And what does that say about Gase? Because he's made a decision to go with this guy who was a sixth-round pick in 2014, who whose only passes basically came last season, and he clearly hasn't gotten better this offseason. And again, this is what Gase is here for. Like, mm-hmm. this is the job, right? Like, this is when we have the conversation about the Heat, right? Like, Pat Riley's job is to get in the room with free agents, right? And Pat sure. put himself in a position this offseason where he couldn't get in the room with free agents. So Pat, for one of the few times in his career here in Miami, failed at his basic job. Adam Gase's basic job is to coach up quarterbacks. If he can't do that, he's not special. And I just want to throw this at you because I want to see if you agree with this because I will tell you that a couple of our guys on our DM string at Five Reason Sports did not. So I'm going to throw the, I used to do this to you on the air all the time where I read something that I wrote. It's kind of nice to be able to do this after three <laughs> years. Okay. All right, here we go. And the Dolphins may have the most problematic backup quarterback situation in the NFL so poorly thought out that you almost think it's part of the plan. As in, if Ryan Tannehill injures himself again, which is clearly possible, the Dolphins want to be entirely vulnerable that they want to go 3-13 and 13 or 4-12 and 12 so that they can get the highest pick possible in the 2019 draft in order to pluck Tannehill's replacement. Do you think that's what's going on here? I do think that it certainly is a possibility I'm willing to entertain because last year they threw $10 million at the position and it didn't get them, it, it didn't keep them alive for the playoffs. And I think this team could only make the playoffs. There are many who think they, they might be among the worst teams in football, but the only way they could make the playoffs is if Ryan Tannehill is healthy for 16 games and really good for those 16 games. So if they think that's their only hope, then why would they invest? But to me, the other element of this and why, and then and, and you put it to a poll and Adam Gase took a ton of the blame. The other reason why the Dolphins don't have a good backup quarterback situation is because if you want a good backup quarterback situation, you have to pay for it. You have to pay a guy four or five, six million dollars in order to get a backup of that level, right? They were paying Matt Moore a lot of money ostensibly because he could be a level of backup where if you threw him into the game, you could survive. Like the Dolphins, they didn't just survive. At times, they thrived when they threw him into the game. Now, give an opportunity to start, and he was terrible. But I, I remember that Jets game in particular where he came off the bench. It was incredible. And in order to have a guy of that level, you do have to pay a little bit more than the Vets minimum. And I think... What ended up happening this offseason is they barely had any money to begin with. Then they went and cut Indomitian Sue so they can add $17 million to do what they needed to do so they can trade for Robert Quinn and make a few signings that, that can bolster their roster. And basically, they were left with such a little amount of money that they couldn't really invest 
in backup quarterback. It's a fourth, fifth priority. So they bring in Teddy Bridgewater, right? They wanted to bring in Teddy Bridgewater, but they didn't have the money to offer him the $6 million that the Jets ended up giving him. And so if you want a guy like that, you do have to pay a little bit more. And so let's survive with the guys that we have. We can't really use a pick on this because they needed all seven of their picks in order to fill out their roster. There's, you know, a late round pick might end up being their starting kicker. They had plenty of needs to fulfill and it just ended up being they ran out of resources in order to really solidify this position. And then sort of the fallback is, well, do we really even want to invest in this position if Ryan Tannehill gets hurt after seven games? We start with among the worst backup quarterback positions in the league, and the job gets accomplished that Dan Orlovsky accomplished in Indianapolis or Matt Moore accomplished in Carolina and, and gets you a top I, pick I, and, and I, I love, I love the, the way top of the draft. It. I love the way you put that. The job gets accomplished. Like <laughs> right, they, right. The, the guy is just bad enough to lose all. Sure. Well, that, look, Matt Moore was not bad enough that one year that they started zero and four. Sure. No, I, I think they started zero and seven that season. No, well, they did, but they they started zero and four before he took over. Oh, I see. Okay. I think he he lost his first three, mm-hmm. and then went six and three. That's been look, and Matt Moore is another conversation because everybody says his arm was dead, and, that, and that's the that's the reason he's not back, and nobody has picked him up. So. Obviously, others agreed with that. But look, Matt Moore has been the exception in the Dolphins quarterback situation in terms of backups over the past few years. I crunched the numbers on this since 2002. Okay, the Dolphins have had a ton of backups who've played quarterback for them. Okay, so these are all the guys who were not starters at the beginning of that season who started at least three games. This is in the past 15, 16 seasons. Ray Lucas, Brian Greasy, A.J. Feely, Sage Rosenfels, Joey Harrington, Cleo Lemon twice John Beck, Chad Henney before he became the regular starter, and Matt Moore twice. And if you go and look at what the Dolphins have done during that period of time, they've been 18 and 36 in the games that their backups have started. And that includes Matt Moore being above 500 in those games. He's been eight and seven in those games. So I know a lot of teams are really bad when their backups play. I mean, we probably see similar numbers from a lot of teams. But if you take more out of that, basically the Dolphins have lost four out of every five games when a backup quarterback has started since 2002. And that would happen again, Chris. Like if mm-hmm. David Fales is starting and has to start six games, they might win one. Okay. Maybe but, but, they win two. But my, my question would be, would that be commensurate with the rest of the league? Because you've seen it particularly over the last few years. There have been some appalling quarterback matchups. And I feel like that's generally the case, that when Andrew Luck gets hurt last year, they start Scott Tolzien, they trade for Jacoby Brissett, and they win three, four games. Like the, it, There are very few Matt Castle winning 11 games with the Patriots. There's very few Nick Foles winning the Super Bowl. That or Kurt, Kurt Warner or Kurt Warner right, winning. Exactly, right, exactly. Right. I mean, I mean, you discovered some guy who was in a grocery store who ends up becoming one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen. Like That is so rare that, for the most part, teams do fall apart when their backups play. That's absolutely true, but I, I do think this is intentional, and maybe it's not intentional to the degree of we're going to try to lose if Tannehill doesn't play, but I do think, I do agree with you, it's we're going to throw our hands up if Tannehill sure. can't play, basically. The only other part on this, and I want to move on from this, so we don't do quarterbacks the whole time, but I wonder how much of this is just that they just have not wanted over the years to sort of challenge Tannehill in any way that was right. going to challenge his position as the starting quarterback on the team, and to me, and we've talked about this on many, many pods going back where I talked about, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like the idea of not having competition mm-hmm. at that position unless the guy is Peyton Manning in his prime. Okay. I mean, Dan Marino having Don Strock behind him for several years to just basically rest his rifle in practice. 
That's fine. Okay. But Ryan Tannehill is not Dan Marino. He's not Peyton Manning. He's not Tom Brady. And the reality is the Patriots have bought it, brought in more promising players behind Tom Brady than the Dolphins have brought in behind Ryan Tannehill over right. the past few years, including a guy you just mentioned, like Jacoby Brissett, to me, is one of the top three backup quarterbacks in the league right now playing behind Andrew Luck. And then you had Garoppolo and, and, you know, they brought Brian Hoyer back. I mean, they've had a number of guys go through there. Ryan Mallett didn't work out, but the Patriots keep pushing to get a real number two who either becomes, you know, their number one, 10 years down the line or becomes an asset for them. And the dolphins have just never done it. And, and that has been a constant frustration. We'll get back to the episode here in a second, but I want to introduce you to another of the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. And like a lot of our sponsors, this is somebody that we work with. Misty over at miss-inc.com. That's miss-ink.com. She is a social media problem solver. She's been in business for more than 10 years, believing in a personal, customized approach to marketing. So she only represents businesses like ours that are serious about taking their visibility to the next level. And now we've got a great program that she is offering in concert with the Five Reasons Sports Network. If you do package advertising with us, that means multiple ads with the Five Reasons Sports Network, you will get a free consultation with Misty so she can help you build out your Twitter, your Instagram, your Facebook, and make sure that when people come to your page, it has something that you want to say, an actionable item, so that they do business with you. So check her out. Again, it's miss-inc.com. 305-537-6465. And now back to the episode. Let's move on now to the next question we wanted to tackle here, and that is at the receiver position. Uh, there were some injuries, there was some movement, but in the end, the question surrounding the Dolphins' first-round pick of four years ago has kind of been answered, and that is this. Is Devontae Parker the biggest disappointment in camp? It was cut short by a broken finger, but more generally, are we kind of now officially 100% out on the idea of him being a reliable year-in-year-out top receiver for the Dolphins? Yeah, I think I think we're out on the idea, and I think they're going to have a really interesting decision to make here with an extension. I don't think he's going to get it. I'll be curious to see if some other team decides to give it to him. But uh, look, broken finger is not his fault, okay? So I don't want to blame him for that. You know, there were all signs that he was working harder this year, and so maybe it would have worked out a little better. But I think the fans have moved on from Devontae Parker. Like, I haven't even noticed over the past couple of weeks, like, much consternation about his lack of availability. It's just kind of like, okay, we just assume we're not going to have Devontae Parker. And, you know, Devontae got irritated when we had Chris Chambers on a pod here, and Chris listed him as the third receiver in camp. He's the fifth receiver right now, yeah, right? Agreed. I mean, it's Stills, and it's Wilson, and it's Amendola, and it's Grant. Like, I mean, those are your four. I mean, Carew... Is still on the outside looking in. They've had a couple of other guys who flash, like Isaiah Ford. But, I mean, we're not talking about Parker. Like, the whole idea of him... When we've talked about potential stars on this team, and I saw the ESPN Top 100 came out, and Dolphins didn't have a single player. Like, we've talked about NFL Network had one, Cameron Wake, and he's 36 years old, and he was in the 70s. The ESPN poll didn't have a single player on it, Top 100. And when you and I have talked about who could be the next guys... We're talking Kenyon Drake. We're talking Xavier Howard. We're talking maybe Raquan McMillan. We're talking certainly Minka Fitzpatrick, maybe Laramie Tunsil. I mean, that's the core group of young players. He's not on that list anymore. That has come and gone. So I think anything you get out of him right now is a bonus. I think it's pretty clear they can use Jakeem Grant in more ways than they used him last season. It's clear that Gase likes uh, Albert Wilson's versatility and his toughness. 
And so I think he's going to get a lot of looks and Amendola, as long as he can stay healthy. And I think that's a, it's a bit of an unfair narrative with him because he had the concussion problems. He missed a lot of time over like a two or three year period, but he's been pretty healthy the last couple of seasons. So I think they have enough with that Gasicki Drake coming out of the backfield Gore, who can catch the ball a little bit too, that it's not that they don't need what Devonte Parker could offer, but they're probably not going to get it. So I feel like at this point we kind of need to move on. And this, to me, most justifies what they did in the off season. I think a lot of people, when they saw, I think they signed Amendola and Wilson on the same day, and I was like, "Well, what are they doing? Why are they why are they getting multiple receivers when you feel pretty comfortable coming back with your group from last year?" which was, you know, Parker, Stills, if they if theoretically, I think keeping Jarvis Landry was still in play at that time. And Jakeem Grant, like, well, we've got four guys. What are you bringing in two for? And it was two for the price of losing one. But to me, it was most about bringing a tight end and bringing in two receivers that could be pass catchers so that Devontae Parker did not need to be relied upon to be healthy for 16 games and be a real contributor. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. For the Dolphins, they built a plan at receiver that didn't include Devontae Parker. Now, if they got healthy Devontae Parker and he magically turned it around and he delivered on the promise, then great, you have him, but you didn't need for that to happen. Whereas it felt like last year, it felt like they needed that in order to have a really good receiving core. I don't think that's the case this year. I think they do have a plan B and they needed to have a plan B. And I think you've seen elements of it in this preseason. And so I think Devontae Parker no longer being a part of this group is not necessarily that detrimental. And the Dolphins needed to get to that place. And now let's move on to the next thing we wanted to get to, which is the new signings. We just talked about two of them in Albert Wilson and Danny Amendola. But overall, Ethan, in terms of the new players that are most impressed, that are not rookies, we're going to get to the rookie section coming up next. But in terms of free agent signings or trades, who would you go for? Uh, it's Robert Quinn by sure. far. And it, it looks like they got a steal there. I like the trade uh, at the time because, I mean, he's not that far away from being a double-digit sack player. And, and, I and do you could justify it with the system change. The system change, and, and look, he, he had been bounced around a little bit out there and had a new coaching staff, and, and so I think getting to this situation, but look, pass rushers can be very effective deep into their 30s. We've seen, I mean, look, look at Cameron Wake. Okay? Look at Julius look at, Peppers. He's like, he's a thousand years old. If these, because what happens is, and, and I remember sitting down with Jason Taylor once, so I did a story about him in the film room and just watching tape with him for an hour and him talking about all the things he's learned from the snap after snap after snap that he had taken in the NFL. And Jason had elite athleticism from the minute that he walked into the league. But even as that went away a little bit, he was able to tell you, we're watching the tape and he's like, watch the left tackle here. You're going to see his foot move slightly back to the left pass protect. I mean, he was able to identify things so quickly and I think so. So as as defensive linemen, as edge pass rushers, these guys in a lot of ways get better as they age because they kind of perfect 
a couple of moves and they can keep going to them when they need them. They also know how to sort of get into space, get their hands up, make it difficult on the quarterback to get a passing lane. To me, you can never have enough pass rushers. If you look at what's happened to the Patriots and why they don't have more Super Bowls, Super Bowl wins, it has been because other teams have had multiple bodies that have been able to sort of come at Brady for the entire game. You go back to the Giants Super Bowls, that's what they had with Strahan and a list of other guys that the Giants were able to throw at him. So uh, to me, that's a huge, huge thing. So I I like the Robert Quinn acquisition at the time. It's clearly going to work out. And I also think it may extend Cameron Wake's career another year, Chris, because sure. that, you know if they don't have to play Cameron quite as many snaps this year, he's got another effective guy on the other side. That is a big deal too. You look at the year, you know, for example, that going way back that Adewale Agunle had for the Dolphins playing opposite Jason Taylor, that Trace Armstrong had playing opposite Jason Taylor. You can make good players look great on the other side, and I think that the Wake combination with Quinn will do that. Now the question becomes: We talk about these first-round picks. We'll see where Charles Harris. I was just going to get to this. I was just yeah. going to get to this. Yeah. Where is Charles Harris? Because sure. I, you know, we talk about what Devontae Parker is, and, and Harris was close on a lot of sacks last year, but was not ultimately that productive in just that category. But there are going to be fewer snaps for him this year to work in. Branch looks a little bit rejuvenated. They've got a lot of bodies on that defensive line, particularly at the end spot. So we may not see much from Charles Harris this year, but I still think it was worth taking the chance of Robert Quinn. And the other thing that would be of concern to me is, yes, they got after him in pass rushing situations. Quinn was incredible and looked like himself when he was into the double-digit sacks for a few years in a row. But the one thing that would be of concern is if pass rush could potentially be a strength, then it only further emphasizes the need to be good in run defense. And I think at times in this preseason, they weren't good enough in that area. But my guy is its actually going to be a tandem of guys, and that's the additions of Kilgore and Sitton. Because, and I mentioned it earlier in the quarterback section, but they kept Ryan Tannehill upright a lot in this preseason. And even when he got sacked, those seemed to be the anomalies. It's, it wasn't like there was constant pressure. And they went under, they went up against some pretty good defensive lines and front sevens. I, I, I do the pregame show for the Dolphins radio network with Channing Crowder, and he was saying that. Carolina's front seven might be the best in football. You look at that front three that Baltimore throws up against you with Terrell Suggs coming in off the edge. Like their front three is massive and difficult to deal with. And yeah, there was times where they got to Ryan Tannehill a little bit, but for the most part, they kept him upright. And you go back to that first game, Tampa got nowhere near him. And so the idea that even if the run blocking isn't going to be fantastic, which I don't think it was in this preseason. Kenyon Drake had a 30-yard run in the last game against Baltimore, but other than that, I think the Dolphins' running game was five carries for zero yards. So run blocking could be a concern, but if they're going to be a top half of the league team in pass protection, and perhaps even better, that would be such a departure from where they've been in years past that I'm just looking forward to basically not having to care about the offensive line, not having to notice, not having to notice when it's bad, and just watching the rest of the game because offensive line has been such a major storyline with this Dolphins offense that it's exhausting. Yeah, and it's been forever. And just to get any kind of consistency, Richmond Webb talked about that on our pod. And and I think what's going to be really helpful for them and Richmond got into this is Tunsil's second year at that position at left tackle, but having a real pro next to him at left guard. Um, Because, you know, when Webb came in with Sims, they were together for all those years. They understood how to play together. I just think that's a much better fit. And, And then also, for whatever Mike Pouncey's strengths were, you just didn't know if he was going to play the next week. And, and I think that was a huge problem for that line. If you listen, it's sort of read between the lines to what Richmond was saying on our pod. 
he was kind of talking about Pouncey because Pouncey was the one guy who was in and out, in and out, in and out. You just never knew. So I think it, they're better off sort of starting over there. I didn't have any problem with that move. And I do think that's big. Now, the other two guys, we've touched on one of them a little bit here, which was Amendola. Uh, does look like he's healthy. Does look like he can be a contributor to them. I, I thought they overpaid him a little bit. But if they can get 45 to 50 catches and some leadership from him in that room, I think that you can make the case that it's worth it. And Frank Gore, we just didn't really see him very much. Now, I was out of camp a couple of days. I know our three yards per carry guy, uh, Alfredo Artiega, was out there uh, at Uptown Report on Twitter. He was out there, and he said Gore looked good when he watched him. So, you know, look. And, maybe and, 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 his, and his teammates and coaches have said the same. They say he doesn't. He looks like he's 25 out there. Back to the Dolphins conversation here in a second, but we're going to be talking hurricanes on Sunday night. Five Reasons Sports Network hosts are going to be at Uncle Al's Cafe in Sunrise. This is the new location where the old hurricane wings used to be. It's on the corner of Knob Hill and Sunrise. They're going to be there starting at about 6.45 or 7 o'clock. We'll have the Canes LSU game on all the televisions, but we're going to have a lot more. We're going to have orange and green drink specials. We're going to have $13 domestic buckets of beer. And we're also going to be giving away a 50-inch television courtesy of the law firm Seltzer Mayberg. So make sure that you get out there. It is open to the public. We do not charge you for these things. Come in the door, hang out with our hosts, and have a great time. And now, back to the Dolphins Talk. Now let's move on to this year's rookie class and the roles that this team is going to produce from their rookies. And my, the early signs are a lot of contributions, a lot of snaps, probably you would imagine among the most in the league, just given the fact you look at their first three picks, they're all going to have fairly significant roles. So what did you make of the rookies so far in preseason? You have to say Fitzpatrick, the most impressive among them. I, I'm, I'm going to get to Gesicki, but I, I, I do think that Mika Fitzpatrick and what he showed in this preseason is that this dude is a professional, not just not just sort of in terms of he's playing professional football, but that he is at the level that you would expect a Nick Saban prepared player to be at. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, I put it out there on Twitter. I think he'll be a Pro Bowler within three years. Um, I, I just when call. you look when you look at the instincts again, the way he carries himself, uh, you know, even the way he carries himself with the media, which is going to get frustrating for the media because he doesn't say anything. But he's so polished. Uh, he's not nasty about it. He's just polished. And the work ethic, the being there early, uh, the leadership role that he's going to take right away. You know, him being able to play with Rashad Jones, who's a high level player in his thirties. They hit on this pick. Uh, I don't think we're going to be looking at this in two years like we're looking at Devontae Parker or like we might be looking at Charles Harris next year or like we looked at Deion Jordan or, God forbid, we may look at Laramie Tunsil. I don't think so. Um, but I, I think we're going to be looking at this pick uh, very positively down the road. And, look, they got it right. They needed a playmaker on defense. They needed a game changer on defense. Like I said, I think he'll be a pro bowler. Uh, within three years. Now, you look at some of the other guys that they've added in terms of rookies. I'm going to throw Raquan McMillan in here as a rookie, Chris, because we, we really didn't get to see him last year. I mean, we, we saw him a little bit in camp, but then then not in the season because of the injury. I think he's looked okay. I expected a little bit more. I, I think maybe it'll come as he gets a little bit more comfortable. What, what's been your view of Raquan so far? Yeah, I, I, I don't know because... 
he seems like someone, and, and Channing was explaining this to me in a way that was really funny, where in his first preseason game, he was out there and he was like jumping up and down. And he's like, because everyone talks about how quick the game is at NFL level, you're almost like over-prepared for it, where like you're just going at a million miles an hour instead of just doing your job. And I think finding that balance is hard. You do have to treat him like a rookie, though. And then the other thing is he's playing next to another rookie, and he's meant to be the organizer. And it felt at times like he looked a little bit overwhelmed. You saw particularly on the play that Carolina scored on the throw to the tight end. Ian Thomas, I believe, was his name. And he's running right in front of McMillan, and McMillan looked unable to catch him. That There was just, in general, organization issues. And that will probably be a concern for the first few weeks before McMillan really gets settled in. That linebacking group is a concern to me because if they're going to be weak at defensive tackle, you have to be good at linebacker. And even playing Jerome Baker, even if he is good, he's not really big enough to be a run-stopping linebacker. And so I, I just don't know if they have enough in that group. And McMillan to certainly have a huge task on his hands to really get a master of the offense and get everyone organized and in their right positions from you know such a such an early vantage point when you consider that he didn't play all of last year. But I, I mentioned I want to get to Gasicki, and I want to do that now. I'm fascinated by the fact that he only had one catch in the preseason, and they threw a fade route to him in the game against Baltimore, and I think you'll see plenty more of that, although it wasn't successful in the end. It was really good coverage by the DB from Baltimore. But I am fascinated that we didn't really see the full skill set unveiled of Gesicki, and my hunch would be that they're saving that for the regular season, that they don't want teams to really know that they're going to be using Mike Gesicki in the red zone above anybody else. So unless you've been to one of their open training camp sessions where they seem to have leaned on that quite a bit, that they're going to use Mike Gesicki in that red zone offense, and they didn't really want to reveal too much in this preseason. Yeah, I buy that, uh, and we've seen teams do that. Um, in the past and, and hold things back a little bit. And it may not even happen in the first or second game. You know, a lot of t- times teams will put things in their back pocket to go to it later. But but I do think at some point they're going to lean on it because he is so clearly their best option in the red zone, right? I mean, because that was supposed to be Devontae Parker and it's not going to be. So you have to find somebody else. And we saw the touchdown the other night. Amendola made something out of nothing pretty much from the 20 and took it the rest of the way. But when they get inside the 20, who are they going to go to? Now, now Tannehill has relied at times on stills. So I think he could get a lot of those opportunities. He's been pretty productive in terms of touchdowns per catch over the course of his Dolphins career. So certainly he's an option there. Um, but there are other guys, nobody really jumps out at you, right? Like Jakeem Grant, probably not going to be his role at that size. So it's going to be Gasicki in a lot of situations. And I do think he's going to have a 50-catch season. I do think he's going to produce between six and eight touchdowns. Uh, we talk a lot about the UM tight ends and what they're going to provide. I, I think we're going to see a little bit of a renaissance at that position this year with the two teams that we primarily cover. So I think he's going to be good. Uh, you talked about uh, Jerome Baker. The size is an issue um, with him. I, I think, you know, a con- sort of a continuing issue. I, I don't know. Um, you know, some, we've had concern. You know, when we talked to some people, in again, in our network, you know, there were some current concerns about him in college that he kind of gets lost on plays at times. And so that's something to watch. But linebacker remains an issue for the Dolphins, Chris. Like, we talk, how many defensive ends do they have? They're going to have to get pressure on the quarterback to make things harder on the quarterback so that there's not time for some of these sort of tight ends and and backs and, and even receivers working the slot to be able to sort of, you know, get loose against the Dolphins linebackers. That's going to be a key thing this season. Hey, this is Gary and Thorne, host of Fantasy on Five on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Draft season is growing 
ever closer on the fantasy football calendar, and we are preparing you twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, for those big drafts. If you weren't listening to the show this week, here's what you missed. Jackson is is a complete bust. He's a fade. I wouldn't even think about him. He's one of those guys that I would only play in DFS and maybe take a flyer in a standard league if he continued to drop down the board come draft day. I want the upside and the young, fresh, talented Godwin who's got some hands. Again, check out Fantasy on 5 with myself and David Ganos every Tuesday and Thursday on the 5 Reasons Sports Network. All right, let's move on to the last thing we want to get to here in our roundup of the Dolphins preseason, and that is the issue that no one is talking about. I'll actually start on this one. Mine is the kicking game, and I wanted to talk about Jason Sanders and Greg Joseph and their kicking competition and the impression that I left preseason with. Now, they were actually pretty good, particularly in the, in, in the last two games. Greg Joseph hit from a long way out in the game against Carolina, but regardless to me of who starts the season, I don't think you have that sense of confidence that when you're you sending your kicker out there, that he's going to make it. And I think that is a real concern for me when you look at some of the way that seasons were derailed around the NFL. You look at, for example, the Los Angeles Chargers. They lose their first two games of the season last year against Denver and against Miami, at least in part because Young Way Koo, their kind of phenom kicker who was doing backflips and then making kicks but couldn't make, couldn't make them in normal games, ended up at least in part losing them two games, and that ended up derailing their season. And you look at, for example... The difference between the top and the bottom guys in extra points and in field goals. And those can be marginal differences that end up proving pivotal. You look at, for example, last year, Cody Parkey was at 91.3% and bottom of the league among eligible kickers was Connor Barth, who was at 68.8%. So there can be a gulf in extra points. Matt Bryant was automatic. He made 35 of 35 and bottom of the league was Kai Forbath, who went 34 of 39. He missed five. Those can prove to be pivotal differences. And I don't think either of the two kickers that were in this competition really set themselves apart in terms of when you send this guy out there, you know you're getting an automatic three or one point. And so that would be a concern for me heading into this regular season. What's yours? Well, actually, that was mine, too. So oh, I'm going to move on to Sorry. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna Sorry have to move about on that. To another one. Well, I, I just think it is a big deal because, uh, you know, like, this is a team we talked about. Like, things are going to have to break right for them to compete for a wild card. They're going to need Tannehill healthy the entire season. But, look, they're competing for a wild card. We know that, right? Like, that's best-case scenario. They're not competing for the division. So they're going to have to finish second in that division. But it could come down to a kick here or there, Chris. I mean, absolutely could. And they made a decision not to pay the previous kicker. I know Jason Leisure was very upset about that. No <laughs> Jupiter or not. But I, I think that could be a concern. But I'm going to go to another one now. And I'm going to mention the defensive coordinator, uh, Matt Interesting. Burke. Okay. I don't know if he's any good. <laughs> I, I, totally I don't. reasonable. And, and, uh, and, and the employee scheme, that's different than a lot of teams in that wide nine. And yep. it seems to really hurt them in the run game. It does, and they're going to have to – look, if they get run on this year, people are going to say it's because Sue's not there, right? And I know that Sue had that Instagram post about the 70-yard run through the middle by McCaffrey, but they weren't that good against the run with Sue at times. Sure. So so it's not just about him. At some point, it does become about – it's the players, but it's also the scheme that the players are playing. And go right to the very top of what we talked about here. If Adam Gase is not going to get blamed, there's going to need to be a sacrificial lamb here, right? Right. Like I, if, if they don't win – eight or nine games this year, somebody is going to get blamed. Um, so if Tannenbaum and Gase, if one of them is going to go this year, it's probably going to be Tannenbaum. But the owner might be might say to Adam Gase, okay, you need to make a change on your coaching staff somewhere. And he just brought in a new guy on offense to work with him. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't have and, and, and he made three or four changes at assistant level. 
Right. So he's made those changes. So the one change he has not made is defensive coordinator. And so I, I do think Matt Burke is a little bit on the spot here. I know our guys are a little bit split on him. There are some that like him. There's some who are not as high on him. I think that the reporters are high on him because he seems to be a pretty good talker. I just don't know if he's a great coordinator yet. And so I think this year is going to tell a lot. And so, look, I have this team going into the season. Um, probably a seven win team. It's about where I've kind of pigeonholed this year. I think they will be a little bit better than what Vegas says. I, I do think they will be better than six, which is why I'm going to give him at least seven, maybe eight because the quarterback play can't be worse as long as Tannehill is starting. And that's, that's the big question. Cause if Tannehill's not starting, the quarterback play is going to be similar to down from where it was last season. All right. You got to check out all of the other podcasts in our network, but especially as Chris mentioned at the top, our football podcast, three yards per carry. They're going to start going twice a week during the season. They're going to go every Tuesday and Thursday. It's a very popular pod fish tank ramping up now fantasy on five. I, I've got a draft this week. I know you just had a couple of drafts, so check that one out and also check out our satellite site. Dolphin Maven just took it over this week. We've been populating it with a ton of free stories. You won't get this much free content anywhere else on the Dolphins in South Florida. We've got eight people working for it right now, Chris. Um, eight different writers, we including got you, including me. I started writing again. We've got four credentials to every game, uh, three credentials to every practice. We've got guys that you've heard of, like Harvey Fialkoff, Craig Davis, Andy Kent, who've been around the team, but also CK is writing for them also he's doing three yards per carry analysis wrap-ups we've got josh houts who's writing over there antoine staley who i know a lot of people are familiar with covers the dolphins for usa today and others so all of us are going to be over there so be sure to check us out as the season progresses On Three Yards Per Carry, we give you a little bit of culture. I'm in Edinburgh for the world-famous Fringe Comedy Festival, which is essentially a cornucopia of comedy, and I am scouting for talent. Do you measure their 40 time, or uh, get their vertical? No, pretty much not, unfortunately. Is Benny Hill there? Benny Hill's dead, buddy. (laughs) We also give you the finest in news and analysis of your Miami Dolphins. Listen to us every Thursday, and soon every Tuesday and Thursday during the regular season on your favorite podcast provider. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.